Hi guys, and here we are today um, at our Rayon Challenge the Future podcast, powered by Binance, trusted by over 90 million users in over 180 countries and regions worldwide. The Binance platform is dedicated to increasing the freedom of money for yourselves. Remember, cryptocurrency is unregulated in the UK. The value of investments can go down as well as up. You may be subject to capital gains tax, as and as you all know by now, we do not offer any financial advice on this show. To learn more about Binance, follow the link in the description below. And here we are today, uh, Calvin Stewart, investor at Pegasus Tech Ventures. Calvin, good to see you. How are you? Doing great. I'm happy to be here. Um, well, thanks for thanks for having me on the podcast. No, look, great to see you. And you know, let, let's let's jump straight into it. Um, Pegasus Tech Ventures, uh, one of the very very um, uh, exciting investors out there. You guys mm-hmm. seem to be doing some really cool stuff with some really cool companies. Um, and if you don't mind me saying, um, you know, you're holding a very key position at a very exciting company at a young age. So mm-hmm. I'm going to kick off. I just want to learn a bit more about yourself. You know, how have you started and got to this position um, at such a cool company at such a young age? Got you. Yeah. So I guess I'll start all the way back from the beginning. Um, I grew up in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, While I was there, uh, my father was a business professor and operations management professor at the University of New Mexico. So I've always sort of been interested in business, um, even though New Mexico is not really uh, a hub of business in the U.S. Um, While I was there, I was really involved with swimming. Um, I've been a competitive swimmer since I was five. Um, and I attended Albuquerque Academy, which was a, a great school. And I think it you know, really helps up the foundation for the rest of my career. Um, and after that, um, I went to Georgetown University. Um, I double majored in finance and international business uh, with a minor in economics. Um, while I was there, um, I was part of a club called the Georgetown Collegiate Investors, uh, which is the largest entirely student contributed, student run um, investment fund, I believe, in the world. Um, and I worked in the tech sector, um, mainly focusing on valuation uh, for them. And aside from that, I also worked at a, com- or a club called uh, Georgetown Ventures, uh, which is sort of a seed startup accelerator for uh, you know, student-run businesses. Um, and initially, I worked mainly in branding for them, uh, which was an amazing experience. Um, but aside from that, I, I also did some more financial um, consulting-type roles, working with like cost and, and, and profitability. But um, you know, very, very cool um, working with them. Um, one of the companies we worked with was a, um, a surf company, which um, I did a lot of the branding for. Really awesome. Um, and yeah, I'm sort of beyond that um, in terms of professional experience. Um, my sophomore year summer, um, I interned at a prop tech startup. Um, I worked mainly in the sales department, so I was on the phone a lot, uh, getting comfortable talking to people. Um, but I worked a little bit also in strategy for them. It was a, it was a really cool experience seeing you know, how startups at the you know, ground level you know, build themselves, you know, working in sales, of course. Um, and after that, um, I, my junior year summer, I interned at uh, Juvo Ventures, uh, which is a seed and series A ed tech VC. Um, it was a pretty big turning point in my career. That's when I really knew that I wanted to get into venture. Um, and I think that, you know, th- I got some really good experience there. I mean, it was a small team. Um, just when I was there, it was uh, two interns, uh, me and one other girl, um, one analyst and uh, three partners. So it was a really, you know, lean, nimble deal team, um, and I was able to get a lot of experience, you know, on the, you know, portfolio consulting side, as well as, you know, fundraising, um, and of course, uh, due diligence and, and making deals. But I think that what was the most valuable for me out of that experience was um, the mentorship that I got. 
I'm like, I'm still in contact with uh, one of the partners, uh, Maya Sharpley, um, who I worked with there. And um, she's been, you know, a lot of help. I love bouncing ideas off of her, you know, seeing where her head's at in terms of the market. Um, and actually my next experience um, during my senior year, I, I interned with her at the Kaufman Fellows. Um, the Kaufman Fellows are essentially a um, venture capital partner education platform. Uh, but everybody who is admitted has to contribute some research. So I, I assisted her in her research, doing some sourcing, and mainly just doing a sort of broad overview of the ed tech market uh, while I was there. And, um, and now I work at Pegasus Tech Ventures. I started work um, not too long ago, about four months ago, uh, but it's been an amazing experience. Um, Pegasus Tech Ventures is a tech VC based out of Silicon Valley. And uh, we invest in you know companies from seed all the way through growth equity um, and across you know many different verticals. Uh, well. I was checking out some of those verticals actually. Like the uh, your portfolio is 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 pretty cool. Like you've got everything in there from from SpaceX to Twitter yeah. to Coinbase, Robinhood, DoorDash. Like, mm -hmm. How early on are you investing in these companies? Yeah, so it, it really depends on the company for sure. So we are actually invited to um YC Demo Day. Um, so we do invest um this previous batch um the summer batch we invest in I believe four or five companies from there. Um. Nice. But predominantly, we invest Series A plus, um, with most of them being, you know, Series A, B, and C. Um, but we have a a growth equity sort of fund uh, where we invest in things that are going to uh, IPO very soon. And nice. sort of like the way that our company works is we operate a venture capital as a service business model, uh, which essentially means that instead of having institutional and you know multifamily offices that back our funds. Uh, we have over 30 corporate multinational partners, um, predominantly out of Asia as well. Um, but what's really interesting about that is that all of these different corporate partners have specific investment areas that they're interested in. So it allows us to look at things like quantum computing or eVTOL or, you know, cement, like anything um, within tech. And it's it's really cool. Um, gives me a lot of like great experience and, and learning opportunities for the market. So. I've been fortunate enough to actually visit IBM, um, speak to their, um, I think, like global principal officer um, who for like UK and Ireland and talk to them about what they're doing in quantum. Um, I've actually been fortunate enough to actually interview some like quantum physicists. Uh, it, they are just out there with what they are doing. Yeah. 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 Very, very cool. I mean, I mean, from yourself, you, you mentioned that, you know, you, you've got some mentors, people that have been able to guide you. Um mm -hmm. A lot of the people um, that uh, approach me for work, they know that we're obviously connected with a lot of um, a lot of like VCs. So they're mm -hmm. like, "Hey, can you get me in there with them? Can you make an introduction?" You know, mm -hmm. they know that you know that they know that that's, it's, there's an element of networking involved. But I mean, what from your experience, like, what have you learned? Are the core characteristics and skills and strengths um, that make a a good investor? Yeah, to make a good investor. Um, so I think that it all starts with passion and interest. Um, I think that, you know, being able to go to work, you know, the hours can sometimes be a bit long and, you know, lots of timelines and stuff like that. So you need to have good time management. But I think that being interested in what you do and, you know, understanding why you really like doing what you do is, is really important. Um, I think that this is also really important for the interview process, um, I, at least in my experience having a good answer to why you are interested in venture capital is of course good, but having a good answer to what you're passionate about is almost more important. I mean, in my experience. Well, I mean, I have to say this is actually one of the things I ask everyone at the start of any interview I'll do with them. Mm -hmm. I'll always just start with like, just tell me what you love. Like what yeah. is it about life? Like, what do you love in life? 
and mm. I think kind of throws people off but <clears throat> I think everyone wants to hire people and work with other people who have passion in their life and again also yeah. discipline and I think you mentioned you started swimming at five years old yep yep <laughs> there's some serious amount of discipline I imagine that comes with that yeah no though there were some <laughs> there were a lot of practices for sure every day um, during the summers I practiced like four and a half hours yeah it was it was intense wow. <laughs> well, I, you know, whilst you're here I might as well take advantage I mean of asking you what are you now passionate about yeah. So um, in terms of things that, you know, more more personal interests, um, I've also been playing chess uh, since I was about five uh, competitively. Uh, definitely one of the passions of mine. I love playing with my friends, um, even though some of them don't play as much. <laughs> but um, besides that, I also I love skiing, um, swimming, of course, um, poker as well. Um, I really like the sort of quantitative aspect of poker because it's, it's sort of a, a nice mix of psychology as well as statistics when you're playing it. Um, and music as well. I, I like, you know, all types of music, but more on the, the technical side, um, I'm really interested in energy, I would say, um, like how energy is stored, how energy is created um, with things like, you know, new technologies like fusion um, and sort of how it can be applied uh, into new technologies like EV tools and stuff like that. And I think that, you know, when you ask like what I'm really passionate about is I, I think that I want to make a difference in what I do with my time. And I think that VC is great because it really feels like what you're doing is impactful and it lets you learn about all the different businesses out there, what's going on in the market. Um, and I think, you know, I definitely want to stay in venture capital for a while, but in the long run, uh, I think I do want to start a startup myself um, and, you know, create something that touches a lot of people uh, more directly than, than the financing side. Well, you would definitely know what mistakes startups are making, right? Yeah, yeah. Actually, do you not? Well, can can you um can I push back on that a little bit? I mean, mm -hmm. what are the mistakes that you're you see most startups? And and coming from someone, by the way, I've made every single mistake in the world. <laughs> every. <Yep. single. laughs> well, I'd certainly love to hear some of the mistakes you made after after I answer, but um, just sort of at a high level, um, there's there's a few bins of mistakes that people make. Um, I think cash management is certainly one of. The, uh, the big issues that people have, um, especially as you transition from periods where there's a lot of funding, like in 2021, into periods like now where funding is kind of dried up a little bit. Um, you have issues where people are, you know, spending too much and not focusing as much on testing their product. So like, as you move into more of a contractionary period, stuff like the lean startup model, uh, where you're constantly iterating, constantly testing, um, and being capitally efficient, um, becomes much more important for these startups to grow. And I think that you know, sort of in the second bin of things that um, that startups get wrong is, I think it's it might sound a bit cliche, but it's really important to get your value proposition across. You first you have to understand it, but you also have to be able to explain it in a very short amount of time. Because typically, how venture capital firms work is that you know in the initial diligence and screening and that sort of stuff, it's the junior members who are contacting and talking with the startups. And if you're not able to communicate your value to the junior members in a very simple way, it's going to be difficult for them to communicate it to the partners who are the end decision makers. So I think that that's, that's really important in getting uh, you know, funding for sure. Yeah, that's definitely a mistake that I made. So, so actually, there's a really good book. But do you know Ryan Breslow? I think he's the, uh, I don't mean personally, I mean, but have you heard of him? I think he's the founder of like Bolt. I think he's like a serial entrepreneur. He, he wrote a hmm. book called Fundraiser. And I read it a couple of years ago and it actually changed my attitude towards approaching like VCs respectfully and, you know, how I went about it. 
But yeah, one thing that we did a, or sorry, we, I did a really poor job of was actually communicating our value proposition, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I was lucky, like early on, I had companies like DWS, Sequoia Capital, Andreessen Horowitz, mm-hmm. uh, all give me the tour, at least we say people there, like senior people, they give me the time of day. Um, and I think mm-hmm. one of them said to me, just go and read this book um, mm-hmm. and just understand. And I, I spent a good month just really like drilling down into what the value proposition was. So that actually when I was speaking with investors, it was something whereby um, it was something whereby they just clearly understood it straight away what it is that we're building. Um, yeah. And it actually worked so well. So thank you, Ryan Breslow, that we ended up just going, I ended up just using it almost as like an elevator pitch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and I went out and we just, we just stole, we just used it to sell. But you know, I think the biggest mistake I made, and you must see this all the time. Like, oh, so Jan, Jan is, is an Adrian, like, you know, my, my CTO, my chief innovation officer, they're just phenomenal developers, engineers, incredibly mm. creative minds. You know, they really love the detail, as do I, but they understand the technical detail in a way that I don't. And they were able to build the most phenomenal products. Jan worked with me on some like AI projects. And I was like, let's just build really cool AI. I didn't think for a second, how are we going to sell it? How's mm-hmm. it going to benefit the user? And yeah. of course, it just flopped. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think one thing that I learned from that is, you know, just focus on the benefits to the user, the value proposition for the user, and more than anything, the user experience, you know? So, oh, yeah. no, and and with, you know, the, the value proposition, if you're unable to communicate in a short amount of time, because there are, you know, very, very technical, very complex companies out there that, you know, have technical, complex products and services. But the ones that are really successful are the ones who can, you know, bring it down dumb it down into just like a few points that, you know, this is what value we bring. We're saving money. We're adding value. Um, and yeah, and I think that if you have an issue with your value proposition, the the problems don't just extend to funding, uh, particularly if you sell B2B, because if you can't convince investors of your value in, in a short amount of time, it's probably also going to be difficult to convince customers in the same way. So we definitely had that problem as well as many others. But I mean, I mean, you know, one thing I will say is that, you know, I've always been very keen to make sure that we have a culture where we can openly criticize each other respectfully, um, where, you know, we really do focus on actually the user experience. Um, Pegasus Tech Ventures, I mean, you've got a whole portfolio of companies. Um, mm-hmm. There's incredible amounts of stress, right? I'm sure that you have to perform for uh, the companies you work with in the same way they have to perform for you. What's it like working there? What's it like working in this high-pressure environment? What's the culture mm-hmm. like? Um, and who are the people that you're working with? Yes. Yeah, so um, I work, we have a, a relatively small team here in the uh, Silicon Valley office, but we do have offices across the world. Um, so we have offices in Tel Aviv, um, in Jakarta, Taiwan, mainland China, Japan. Um, and, and typically those other offices source deals within their specific you know, regions. Um, however, in the Silicon Valley office, we do the U.S. and we also kind of spill over into some of the other regions as well. Uh, but within the Silicon Valley office, we have a, a relatively small deal team. Um, there's four of us as analysts. Uh, we have three associates. And then um, I would say around like, you know, 10 partners. Um, and the partners are great because they all have different expertise. Like we have one partner who's, you know, really focused on med tech and they really understand that market. And another one that, you know, handles a lot more of the hardware and another one that, you know, has a deeper understanding of the software. 
So it, it's it's really a neat model because you know if you run into a question, you know exactly who you who you need to talk to about it, and it's it's pretty collaborative as well. I think that there's like a ton of talented people here, and it's just you know awesome working with uh, people who are interesting to talk to for sure. And it's sector agnostic, right? Yep. So that's sort of um, as a merit to our venture capital as a service. So we're we're kind of sector agnostic. Um, we choose some of our investment decisions or a lot of our investment decisions based off of our um, corporate LP's interest. Um, so that's uh, to an extent why we're both, you know, sector and stage agnostic, um, because each of the different partners has a different range of you know, valuation that they want to invest in, as well as, you know, a different you know, range of sectors and, and interest areas. And, and, and for, for early stage um, founders, as I think I mentioned to you past in the past that I think it's actually it's grown since we spoke last, but I think that we've now got about two and a half thousand, three thousand founders um, on the platform. We've got over 20,000 people in, in total. So it shows how many people are looking to um, build their startup. We get a lot of questions about pitch decks. Now, I'm not the best person to ask our pitch decks until Yarn took control of them. Um, and Tarek, you know, Tarek worked on the branding. They were horrendous, mm. right? <laughs> they, they were like mm. 30 pages long. I kid you not. Yeah. Each bullet point was like three or four lines. Um, mm. Too many pictures, diagrams. And then, you know, between Jan and Tarek, they've just sourced out our branding. So, and Adrian, actually, you know, they've sorted out, you know, our branding guidelines. But they, that's also filtered down into our pitch deck, which mm. now admittedly, Fortunately, we're in a lucky position. We don't really need to use it at the moment, but it's on the website for anyone that wants to check it out. Um, we've simplified everything, everything. Mm. So anyone can now read it and they understand the value proposition. What makes a great pitch from a founder and really what, what makes a great pitch deck from them? Yeah. So, I mean, there, there's a lot of things uh, that I could talk about on this, um, but I mean, you, you did touch on some of them yourself. I mean, value proposition is king for sure. Like being able to early on in the presentation, explain what the problem is, how you're fixing it and what your value is to all of the customers that you're trying to acquire. I think that that is probably the single most important thing. You also touched a bit on length. Um, I, I think that, you know, keeping your slides down to around like 20 slides is, is good. If you have something very technical, um, you know, it's great to have an appendix. Um, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with having a really long appendix that explains through the tech because it helps us understand as well. But the actual pitch itself, you want it to flow very quickly. You want to be able to go through, you know, product, you know, market, competitors, you know, traction, financials. You want to get through all of that, you know, in, you know, maybe 20 minutes or so. So that you have some time for questions and you can, you know, you're not, you know, just rambling on. Well, no, so. but and is, is that it? So, so, so when people pitch you, if they do it like face to face or over Zoom, I imagine it's probably now over over Zoom. Over Zoom. Yeah. Right, <laughs> over Zoom. So, so is that it? So they have like, do do they talk for like twenty minutes and then, so they'll just, yeah. they'll just listen for twenty minutes and they'll just tell you about the company. So um, it depends. Like um, if, if I have a question that's like really pressing, especially about stuff with like their business model so that I you know don't really understand what they're doing, um, I'll interrupt. Um, and uh, most of the time on our calls, we'll have one junior member and then one senior member, either an associate or one of the partners. And the, the partners definitely jump in a lot um, and ask questions, um, which is definitely should not take that as a bad thing. If you're a startup, that just means that the VC is really interested and, and maybe doesn't quite understand um, exactly what you're saying. But yeah. 
That's, yeah, I, I actually didn't know. I, I've, and again, I've, I've flown out to the West Coast before and I've, I've pitched VCs out there. Um, but yeah, again, I think I only pitched them for like three or four minutes. And to be fair, it became much more back and forth questions. But the way you're painting it, is it kind of like Shark Tank? Is it a, a bit, bit like... <laughs> a bit. Not quite as sexy, but it's a bit like Shark Tank. <laughs> uh, yeah, they, they might romanticise it, but it, it, you know, it's pretty awesome. Um, but, you know, and, and again, all the companies you see, the early stage ones, you know, why are they not selling earlier on? And I, from our perspective, we didn't have any money, right? Yeah. We knew We knew how to get people on board. We knew how to build the technology, albeit it's now improved by a factor of 150 thanks to adrian um and and jonathan and arjuna working with yarn like they've kind of kicked me out of the room it's now <laughs> 150 times better um why are so many young companies not encouraged to just go out there and sell why, why like, yeah. as opposed to just raise money yeah so i mean th there's a lot of fear of failure um within young you know startups um i think that this is one thing that we, we definitely look for in companies in the management team seeing failure at previous startups is, is actually a good thing because it shows that they're scrappy, that they're adaptable, and they're willing to get back on the horse and do what they need to do to, you know, convert and sell some, some of their product. And I think that, you know, team is probably the most important factor um, along with value proposition um, for early stage startups. Like as you move into the later stages, you know, financials, union economics, that stuff matters a lot more, but at the initial stage team is team is critical and, and building the right team for a startup, at the early stages is not always the right team for a startup, you know, that's at the series D, series E range, because the you need scrappiness in, in you know, the early stages of development. You need to be willing to get out there to, you know, promote yourself. Uh, but in the later stages, you know, it's less important. Like, you know, you focus more on procedure, you know, you, you grow teams to like 550 people, and suddenly it's like an organizational nightmare to actually do anything. Um, so I think that, you know, there, there's definitely a different, um, viewpoint for the later stages but uh, team is is absolutely critical and um you know even conveying that like you know don't hide that you failed you know you know explain exactly how you you are adaptable i think that that's that's the advice i can give for that yeah and and, and at the risk of sounding cliche mm -hmm. failure is where you learn I, yeah of course sometimes yep. with my team i'll give them like new roles and responsibilities they'll give me new roles and responsibilities right mm -hmm. and they'll be like mm, Lawrence you haven't done it as well as I need you to do it so I'm going to carry on doing it and you know either I'll teach you how to do it or or just I'll carry on doing it and likewise mm -hmm. you know I'll delegate stuff and then I'll spend more time I'll invest some time and say actually you know are they doing it to the level that I will do it you know mm -hmm. and I think that with us I have to say we had a major failure like lost everything very quickly investors pulled the money out and dare i say it it was one of the best things that probably happened to us because, yeah you know the yeah the team the team stayed like i kind of fired them all i keep you know, <laughs> i was just like guys it's game over they're like nah you'll work it out you'll work <laughs> it out. and uh we did we stuck to, we stuck together and it just like respectfully i use it as an opportunity to flush out any weak links in the team mm -hmm. um made sure i really held on to the strong players yeah. and and then we just as you do you know with a tech company you get a bit of money build tech get a bit more money build better tech and so forth and so mm -hmm. forth it's no mm -hmm. different with a team it just takes years 
to mm-hmm. put the right team together. And I, I think that's the challenge. But I mean, mm-hmm. did we do the right thing by going out there and selling a product that we knew wasn't the best version of our product? So actually, yes, I would say so. Um, I think that, you know, in the lean startup model, you know, constantly iterating, like it's very difficult for startups to get everything right initially, like get the go to market right, get the product right, get the software right, like everything. It's very difficult. And it's also very difficult to understand when you got it wrong, when all you've been doing is working on this. So being able to go out there and get customer feedback is, you know, one of the most valuable things you can do as an early stage startup. So. And and um, again, in terms of um, assessing one of these early stage companies, how do you go about va- valuing a company? How do you know what a company's worth if they haven't got any sales? Yeah, so that is certainly certainly a difficult prospect. Um, generally, though, we're more of a um, follow on investor, um, more of a strategic follow on um, rather than a lead investor. But we we do lead some um, deals, especially at the seed level. Um, so far, I've, I've not been able to work on a valuation for one of those companies, but, um, you know, a lot of times it's based off of multiples um, and just, you know, an understanding of where the market's at now and sort of how strong the team is, you know, what the market opportunity is. But it, it's very difficult to put a number on it, as, as I'm sure you know. Yeah. So whenever we meet with investors, so, so when when I first when we first started, we got like crazy valuations off of our, our, our idea that were between like five and seven million. Then we mm-hmm. got a bit of traction and it was between like 10 and 15 million. And then we were like, these guys are all crazy. You know, we're, you know, we're, <laughs> we're not profitable yet. Um, and I think at the time we didn't even have positive cash flow. So, mm-hmm. you know, I was like, let's just park this for now. Once we've got a bit more traction, we've built up our annual, uh, our monthly run rate rather, then we mm-hmm. can explore it again. But I mean, look, you've seen all the successes, all the failures, um, you've got access to all this knowledge. Um, what's your core advice to founders starting their own business? Hmm. Um, so I think that, you know, one of my core advices is certainly, um, you know, if you're in a market that doesn't have a lot of competition, that's amazing. Uh, but if you do, which, you know, pretty much all do, um, having a clear plan of how you're going to beat your competition and steal market share from them is, is really important. I mean, beyond that, there's a lot of other things that I think are important. So like, you know, deep domain expertise and a clear plan on going to market. Um, it doesn't have to be like a full business plan, but it just needs to be something clear and concise. Um, and as I mentioned before, of course, willingness to be adaptable and flexible um, in your company and willingness to change even your value proposition, anything about your company is fluid. Um, you know, you should never think of it completely set in stone. It, it is a bit of a setback to, you know, go back and, you know, redevelop the tech. But if you think that that's the only thing that's going to help you, I think that that's something that you need to do. And um, yeah, also, as I mentioned, willingness to fail is is certainly an important factor. Um, just getting yourself out there and you know, trying to sell, I, I think is, is great. Yeah. Like, so in terms of the tech, like we actually redeveloped it about like 10, 11 times. And yeah. in terms of the competition, I was, I, I was, I did a poor job, like trying to explain what, what, what we were doing in terms of, I was like, look, we don't have any competition. Our global market, according to McKinsey, I, I'm a bit of a geek for reading those reports. I was like, it's a, whole, <laughs> it's a $2 billion market globally. It's mm-hmm. tiny. I think in 10, 15 years from now, it's going to just go through the roof. Um, and, and we just had to like keep just like going over it and over it. And I, th- I think one thing that's interesting is that now investors, from what I'm seeing, is they demand as much innovation in the business model mm-hmm. as they as they do in the um, 
uh, as they do as they do in the actual technology. So, I mean, mm-hmm. how do companies, or what would be your like advice for how companies should go about standing out from their competition? Is it with their brand? Is it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that you know, as a startup, it's very difficult to stand out just by brand alone. Um, you know, nobody really knows you when you first start out. So I think that you know, the most important thing is you know getting out there, making partnerships is really key, especially in the B2B space. So securing these partnerships um, kind of ties into the networking thing where, you know, you, you're connected to somebody at Microsoft and, you know, they can put you in contact with you know, top tier talent. They can also put you in contact with potential customers and other partners. So I think that, um, yeah, that, that's probably like my general advice. The, the brand is, is not as important initially. Okay building it is is what you really need to be focused on yeah uh, again uh we're now i think after four years of really just like building going back we just kept accumulating technical debt and every time mm-hmm. as you i'm sure you see all the time when you've accumulated too much technical debt it's just game over and you just have to really much start again but mm-hmm. i mean in terms of your thoughts on the future of technology any exciting sectors that you see on the horizon um and any core benefits that you want to see these uh, these technologies uh, making in society? You mentioned energy is, of course, one of the sectors you're you're very interested yeah. in. Yeah. So yeah, I guess I'll, I'll touch on sort of the benefit to society first. I mean, just like going back to like macroeconomics 101. Um, like in the standard model, the only driving factor for economic growth is technology, and it sort of it's, it's really interesting looking at these startups because they're advancing the forefront of what we as humans know. And um, in, in fact, they are advancing how our society works and the society itself. So I think that, you know, startups have a, a very, very key role and a very important role um, in the development of our society and, and how our tech advances. Uh, but talking a bit more about like where I think uh, technology is going to go, I could talk about this for quite a while. But um, I think that, you know, it all kind of does stem from energy. So. Um, you know, um, I'm very interested in fusion. I, I don't think it's going to be commercially viable for you know, two, three decades at least. But um, we've seen what the private sector can do um, in terms of their capabilities with fusion. I mean, you have um, Eater, which is a big, um, you know, multinational group um, between like the U.S., France, the U.K., and several other countries, and they're trying to build a fusion reactor. And I, I, last I checked, it was like $40 billion and it's bare. It's like this huge reactor. It's like 40 acres, $40 billion. And it's barely able to produce net energy if their simulations are correct. But then you have companies like Commonwealth Fusion or Helion Energy that are completely changing how we look at it. Like for Commonwealth, they're using a super magnet um, to make it much smaller, probably about the size of the room that either of us are sitting in. Um, and with Helion, instead of using a tokamak where you spin around the, uh, the ions, they're using more of a compression system where it pulses. Um, so there's there's tons of really unique technologies in fusion, and I just you know broadly think that fusion is the future. Um, you know I, I can't speak too much to when it will become the future and you know take over everything, but you know I think that you know fossil fuels and even some of the renewables are just steps towards unlocking the power of the atom. And sort of beyond that, um, energy storage is also something that I'm, I'm pretty interested in. Um, so like just looking at new battery tech, um, like you have companies like Gravit Energy, um, which do like a thousand watt hours per kilogram on their batteries compared to like a traditional lithium ion, which performs to my understanding the best in the industry so far that does around a hundred. Um, so what's really important with these batteries is that as the 
energy density to weight ratio increases, a lot of future technologies uh, become like significantly more viable. So like you have things like, you know, bionics way into the future um, where, you know, having a, a longer lasting battery that doesn't weigh as much is important, but maybe in more of the near term, you have stuff like the EV toll market, um, you know, within the EV toll market, their key challenge is that it's very difficult to pack enough energy into the batteries without making them weigh so much that it's difficult to get off the ground. Um, so, and I think that, you know, there's, there's like three main factors for the adoption of EV tools in my eyes. I mean, first, um, price. I think that before it's widespread, it needs to be less than like $200,000. It needs to be something that, you know, a normal person could buy in their lifetime. Um, second, I think that, of course, the cruising range is important. Like the, the designs we see, you either have, you know, a very expensive, like several million dollar aircraft, um, and then it, you know, can cruise for 100 miles, or you have, you know, a much smaller, you know, 70k aircraft that can only cruise for about 20 miles. I think that once we get up to around 50 miles, you'll be able to see it to uh, to be a lot more commercially viable. Because if you're able to, you know, go somewhere, like go to the, your friend's house, go to work, go to the grocery store that doesn't have a charger for your EV toll, you want to be able to fly back as well. So I think that like once they hit that 50 mile um, 50 mile cruising range, they'll be a lot more viable for recreation as well as transportation. And finally, of course, is safety. Um, and you know, all of the EV tolls are are working on that right now. But it's just, yeah, a really interesting industry um, because I think energy impacts pretty much everything that, we, that we're going to look at in the future. Um, and, you know, even things like um, I, I saw very recently something for um, distance wireless charging. Um, and it's essentially, you know, um, I've seen like two different models, like one using sort of Tesla's like AC, you know, through the air. Um, while the other one uses um, like microwaves, like beamed microwaves and, you know, uh, stuff like that, I can just, uh, I'm just really excited by, because I... Hmm? Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to jump in. No, no, no. Well, no, I was, how, how scalable is it, like, what Elon Musk is doing? Like, it, I mean, obviously, it's phenomenal what Tesla's doing, but, I mean, I think you touched on something, like, really quite interesting there. In order to produce the batteries, we obviously have to increase our use of fossil fuels in the early days. Right? In the short term. Mm -hmm. In the short term. And that's our investment. Um, however, at the end of it, are we going to have enough minerals and, you know, the metals? I was, I've, I've only just, I'm not an expert on it by any stretch, but I've just started been reading about the, uh, the metals that are being used, et cetera, in these batteries. Like, yeah. is it something that is scalable? Like, is everyone in the world going to have an electric car in like, not even like 30 years, but in a hundred years from now? Yeah. So I, I think probably for sure it, it's hard for me to say at this stage um but because yeah we don't really even fully understand how much fossil fuels we have we just have estimates of the amount of rare earth metals that we have um and that kind of does tie into a bit of some of my other interests like I, i'm very interested in space and i think that as we progress um, we're going to move beyond just the earth like there's you know right now there's not you know a huge market for you know being in space um, aside from satellites um i I mean, I've seen some interesting things like uh, with the fusion reactors, if you use um, deuterium and helium-3 as opposed to deuterium and tritium, um, you can produce energy with no nuclear byproduct. And helium-3 is abundant on the moon. So that, you know, not now, but in the future, that's very interesting to me. Um, and also I saw stuff with, um, you can, they can 3D print artificial organs, like complex artificial organs, like a heart, 
kidney, liver, that sort of thing within th um, space. Um, because on Earth, gravity just breaks down the models as they're as they're trying to make them. But I think that um, just like long term, um, you know, we, we aren't just confined by what's on our planet. You know, there's asteroid mining. There's, you know, tons of stuff out there. So I think that, you know, humans always have found a way. So I think that they're they'll be able to accomplish this as well. Yeah. So. And, and I think actually the humans that um, are going to be the ones to find a way uh, could very much uh, be in your startup world cup um, yeah yeah maybe <laughs> so, so, so in terms of the startup world cup I, I mean, i've seen a bit of it online you've obviously got some like, huge like really cool uh uh people endorsing it. i think i saw like steve wozniak and uh um kevin who, who, sorry kevin o'leary from shark tank was uh spoke at our last event do you know what love him honestly yeah. i don't understand how the contestants the other not care testers that the founders don't just like grab him like like as yeah. as the shark's well he's Mr. Wonderful. what do you call a mr that's it okay yeah. so we don't have it in the uk but I, I i like i can stream it online but yeah the, i mean the guy is brilliant he really yeah. is you guys have what dragon's den over there dragon's den and funny enough we've got um one of the dragons peter jones i think the he was a, really tough. a tall guy yeah tall, <laughs> good looking super yep. successful um you know brilliant at business and, and funny enough he talks a lot of sense in a way that i think that in terms of valuation right because sometimes we try and adopt the american culture and they'll go on they'll go on shows like dragon's den and they'll be like my company's worth a million pounds even though it's just an idea in their head still right yeah. or something they're building in, in 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 their garage which nothing wrong with that right that that's pretty much where where rayons come from but um he brings it back to earth and he's just much more like come on like be realistic like the, the company isn't making any money you've got no go-to-market strategy you've got no mm -hmm. brand there's no intellectual property there's no, yeah, no technology. Like, what is it like what is it exactly so yeah no mm -hmm. no but it, it, it was interesting to see him on that show and i just think honestly kevin o'leary he's just the man yeah, yeah. No, he's he's a great he, he was a great speaker. Um he spoke a bit about funding, I believe, at our at our event. But yeah, I can talk a little bit about the uh, the startup world cup if you'd like. Um yeah, I think it might be some interest to some of your network. Um so like broadly speaking, um it's like the largest um global pitch competition in the world. Um so we operate across 70 different regions, um, you know, Europe, Africa, Asia, South America, North America, um, all covered, and Australia as well, excuse me. <laughs> um and um, how it works is that in, in these regional competitions, um, the winner of the regional competition is given the opportunity to come to San Francisco and pitch in the grand finale. And um, the event is worth $1 million. You get a million dollar investment prize if you uh, complete it. Wow. And what it really does is it brings together like a huge group of um, investors, you know, corporate investors, um, and startups um, in the same ecosystem, and it's I think it's a it's a really valuable experience for sure to uh, to attend. Uh, we we had some amazing speakers. We had Lydia Fonseca, uh, the CTO of Pfizer, um, as well as um, Juan from um, the CTO, former CTO of Uber, um, at our event. But yeah, nice. Well, and and if for anyone that wants to actually um, get involved with this, what's the best way for them to do it? Is it via StartupWorldCup.io? Yeah, so that would probably be the best way to do it. Um, also on the website, you can see all the different regions that are listed and you can see, you know, which region you would fall the most into. Um, but yeah, it's it's an amazing experience. Um, I, you know, the analysts here and the associates actually go out to a lot of the, the regional events. 
So um, if you attend, maybe I'll see you there. Nice. I mean, look, and, and guys, also, anyone watching this, check out, uh, check out rather. Um, that's something for Tarek to edit. Um, <laughs> check out the Pegasus Tech Ventures page on Rayon. Um, and be sure to check out startupworldcup.io. And yeah, um, get involved with uh, Pegasus Tech Ventures. Um, I have to say, it's been great to have you here. I really do appreciate it. Um, what, what is, what's next for you guys? Is there anything in the pipeline for Pegasus Tech Ventures? Um, in terms of the pipeline, I mean, just, you know, continuing on, um, you know, we're, we're still, you know, investing in deals. We've slowed down a little bit less than a lot of the other institutional back VCs because our corporates are still, you know, really interested in, in expanding their, their portfolios. So um, just more deals. Um, the Startup World Cup season's just kicking off. We had our finals in uh, San Francisco on September 30th. So we're just starting the regional events again. Um, and yeah, that's kind of where we're at. Oh, Calvin Stewart, everyone. Uh, Pegasus Tech Ventures. Uh, Calvin, great to have you with us. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It was a great time.